truly at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 209 of Dogcast Radio, which you can find at dogcastradio.com, where there's our blog and many other resources. Coming up, we hear about life-saving facial reconstruction surgery. It's not just a cosmetic concern. So the fact that the bone collapses in the nose and uh, in the sinus, for sure on the long term was causing problems. And we have the Dogcast Radio News. Your love of dogs may be down to your genes. But before all that, we have an interview about Susanna Charlson's latest book, Where the Lost Dogs Go, a story of love, search and the power of reunion. Susanna trains search and detection canines, dogs for the disabled and comfort dogs that serve the community. Alongside all that, she has a family of rescue dogs and writes best-selling books. I was lucky enough to talk to her a day after her latest book was published. During this interview, Susanna gives her three-step action plan you can immediately implement should your dog go missing, as well as what you can do if you find a lost dog. I'm talking today to Susanna Charlson. Hi, Susanna. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Good, good. And very exciting because the book's just come out, so it's great. Congratulations. So let's get talking about this book. Now, one, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very charming book, and I've thoroughly enjoyed reading. I'm still reading it at the moment, and I'm really enjoying it. Your descriptions of dogs and, and, and canine behaviour is just amazing. It's beautiful. It rings very true. And Ace, who's a dog that you rescue, who sort of evolves <laughs> during the book, doesn't he? But he is beautiful. He's very central. And he, he enters the book in a, in a terrible state. And, and, and then things get a little bit worse. But he's very central. And, and what I love is the sort of... You turn thinking about his past into a detective story. That, that's beautifully done. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Ace was, was and is uh, a revelation, uh, for sure. Yeah, he is the... Uh, Though I had actually done some finding of owners of lost pets before I, I knew Ace, and uh, in some cases finding the pets uh, for bereft owners, Ace was really the, the catalyst uh, for this book because he so clearly showed me that at the point that he was rescued, just almost everyone surrounding him assumed that he was a neglected dog, a dumped dog, uh, because his state was so, so, so terrible. You couldn't help but look at it and just get angry mm. that, that, you know, uh, clearly a pet animal could be allowed to deteriorate in such a state. And and so the you know the the moment I met him, I, I mean, my first thought was to to look at him and say, yeah, that's probably right. You know, he probably was a neglect case and was allowed to you know wander and and then never made his way home or something. But when I met him, immediately, uh, I, I'm also a dog trainer. I could tell this dog had known love. Mm. He'd known love. He'd known care. He'd known training. He'd known manners, and he'd known a relationship with someone that had really very defined habits and positions. He is a dog that loves ritual, and he apparently was with someone who also was very established in ritual. Mm. And so he completely rewrote the narrative that, that you would guess when you looked at him. And so, yeah, the, the process of the book was trying to determine with Ace really as a case study, you know, what can happen when a loved dog is lost for a long, long, long time? And of course, yes. across the course of the book, I, I, I learned just how long he wandered alone. And even, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to give too many spoilers for the book, of course, but, <laughs> but I will say that even since the book has been written, uh, that pursuit of his story hasn't stopped. I mean, the book is out, but there's still questions I'm trying to answer. And uh, not all that long ago, about six weeks ago, someone came forward that thought he might have been um, her parents. 
dog. Oh, wow. And yes, yes. And, and unfortunately, it's going to be very difficult for them to prove or, or, or to be certain of because the only pictures they have, um, the parents are, are now deceased, was of this dog as a puppy. But certainly the timing tallies, the the tricks he knew tally. So it's mm. it's quite possible. So, yeah. 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 I mean... Some of the stories you, you hear about dogs that go missing or, you know, or, or are rescued and then um, adopted and, and you know, we, we have it over here. And then thankfully, we now have um, a law that you have to have, you, you should have your dog microchip. They're not all, that, right. it's not all managed, obviously, but um, the law is that you should have your dog microchipped. That's making a difference. But it's just, your, your blood runs cold when you think what can happen to a dog when they go missing, doesn't it? Because there's so many different different things that can happen to them. And and it's really interesting. You you say they can fall into three categories when they go missing, don't you? Yes, yes. I frame it as that a dog, obviously, that's missing can be deceased uh, in transit or absorbed. And 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 everything that my experience shows me can happen to a missing dog falls into one of those categories and and sometimes deceased dogs are found and then closure happens from the family sometimes deceased dogs are never found and and they always wonder an in transit dog is a dog that is either still running loose still in motion of his own volition mm-hmm. um or under his own direction or he can be a dog that someone has picked up that is in a state of homelessness still, but maybe in the car with someone who intends to take him to the shelter. And even in the shelter where he's under a stray hold here, I'm, I'm not sure what the UK laws are, or, or maybe they're by from area to area, but uh, here classically a stray hold might be five days. So an owner has five days to claim the dog, and then after five days, the dog would be up for adoption. Mm-hmm. And so, so even a dog sitting in a shelter waiting for possible reclaim, I would call in transit. And then absorbed is, is the third category, and that is when a dog has been taken up by a, a human and has either been adopted outright by the person who finds them or rehomed with someone else or placed into the rescue system uh, where they are now not as easily reclaimed by an owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so an absorbed happens a lot. Yes. <laughs> Depending on the area, absorbed happens a lot. And it's just, you know, oh, this poor puppy. And, and especially if the puppy looks wet and muddy and it's, you know, been two days of rain showers and they're, they're bereft and sad and bedraggled and soaking wet. And it's very easy for our hearts to twist and to take in that dog and love it quickly and never, ever look back to mm. an owner who may be pounding the streets, yes. you know, a yeah. mile away. Um, desperately looking. Yeah, so. yeah, and it, it is something that happens to a lot of dogs and and owners and as families, isn't it? A lot of dogs go missing. Yes, yes. I don't know the UK's numbers uh, as well at all, but but in America, the studies vary. But the American Humane Association says that. One in three dogs go missing, according to the American Humane Association. And um, without human help, uh, only one in 10 ever comes home. Wow. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty significant number, particularly the number that just go missing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm, I'm sitting here in the window, uh, in a bedroom window of, of my house, looking out, and, uh, and I mentioned this in the book, there was a point I stood in the front yard of, of my own home, which sits on a corner, and I realized that I had brought home a lost dog from every house in my sight line. Oh. <laughs> and in some cases, in some cases, 
more than one dog more than one time from more than one family because, you know, the house sold and another family moved in, et cetera. And this was just in my sight line. Mm-hmm. So uh, it happens a lot. Yes. It happens a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there are ways I think we can we can be better uh, prepared to to prevent that. And then there, as finders, too, I, I think there's a way we can uh, better support the families whose whose pets have gone missing because there's just so many windows of opportunity for an animal yeah. to get lost. Yeah. So, so I mean, great points. So let's um, let's look at what can people do because it, you know we none of us want our dogs to go missing. We want them to stay safe and with us. But as you say in the book, you know, with the best of plans and intentions, things happen. Doors are left open. Accidents happen. So what can we do to keep our dogs? as safe as possible and to 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 you know play the odds and make sure that they it's more likely they will come back to us if they do get lost well certainly um i think the uk is is really smart about the the mandatory microchip policy yes yeah. uh for sure and and it's not just having the chip but having the chip updated yes absolutely and so so here what i recommend is for people, when they have to fill out a change of address form online, when they themselves move, go in and change, do the change of address form for their animal yes. on the microchip site at the same time. I mean, yeah. that's just the way. Change my address, change the dog's address. And if you think about it that way, it it, it becomes automatic. We have to change our utilities, right? You have to, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things on that checklist. And, and if, if my address changes, my dog address changes. So, so keeping that microchip updated is, is huge. Here, where we find the most animals or the most situations where animals go missing are um, escape via contractor. So a contractor's working on the house and leaves a door open or leaves a gate open. Um, that would be number one. Number two would be um, kids or uh, strangers unfamiliar with the house, or maybe visitors, let's just mm-hmm. say guests, yes. unfamiliar with the house and the routine, uh, leaving doors and gates open or unlatched. And then the third, at least here locally where I serve, a lot of dogs ejected from car accidents. Mm. And so, and ejected, ejected as injured survivors or panicked survivors um, who, who then not only are loose, but they're often also traumatized. Yeah. It's, it, it's a great point to raise because, you know, I'm passionate about dogs need to be safe in a car. They need to be in a crash-tested crate or behind a, you know, a, a crash-tested uh, gate if they can or the crash-tested harness. So that's one of my passions, crash-tested if you can. The dog's got to be as safe as possible. But also within that, as you say, just have a think. And, it, you know, heaven forbid, but it could be a situation where you're unconscious and you're, you're not the one who opens right. the boot, you know. Um, car manners again are so important but of course the dog would be terrified potentially if there'd been a crash so maybe a sticker on the back you know don't open dogs in in the car or whatever right 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 right. think about it in in advance isn't it yes yes well and 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 to your question about you know what can we do in those eventualities with with the particularly with the contractors or guests in the house or, you know, lots of kids running in and out of the house and cars. I I do think there's some very simple things to do that are just grounded in habit. Um, For me, one of the things that I certainly do is I, I love double and triple doors. Yes. When circumstances are odd. So for instance, if I have contractors in my yard, uh, my dogs are behind double doors, so they're behind the door in the house uh, that leads into the house, and then they're in a room behind a door. Yes. And the door leading out of the house, every door leading out of the house has a sticker on it and that says, no, <laughs> you know, like, don't know. <laughs> yes. And then there's also, I, I drew this little picture of an old-time push lawnmower. 
mm. and and that's on the you know on both doors, and that tells me I, I put it there every time I'm going to have a contractor, and so I know not to open the door with the dogs loose. And the dogs are also behind a second door. Now, if somebody is, if we've got a contractor in the house, then it becomes a triple door situation. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. because now I've got to, I've got to make the double. I've got to make sure that the contractors and that I'm following up behind them, shutting the outside doors because they do leave them open. Oh sometimes. yes. Yes. You know they're bringing ladders in and out and whatever, and they leave the door ajar or whatever. But then. I also then will typically put my dogs behind, say, my bedroom door and then behind my bathroom door in my bedroom. Yes. So, again, I've got that double door scenario. The other thing that I would say is that's a really good policy when you're having things like, oh, I don't know, summer parties and and uh, hosting a number of, of kids in and out of the house because your own your own kids may be really familiar with the rituals and the dog's behavior, et cetera. But when there's a bunch of, of, of bodies running around and having a good time, that unlatched gate is just such a common thing. Or they think they shut it and the latch didn't catch and someone comes through and bangs it and it doesn't catch. And, and so, you know, I, I think that's really the time to to be very uh, mindful of the dog's security as well. And then, yes, in the car, and you nailed it. I mean, you you said it. Having the kind of harness or carrier that is secured mm-hmm. safely, so that the dog is is not a mobile object that gets thrown around in the crash to begin with. Yes. But also, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. I, I love this notion of, of the sticker on the door that says, you know, you know, a, a pet is traveling with me. Yes. So that people can just not only use caution, but also in the case of, of a really bad accident, uh, where possible, actually look for the animal, you know, in, yes. in, the, in the vehicle. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And again, it's not it's not a nice subject to think about, but, you know, no. we, we have insurance for our cars. We hope we don't crash, but we have insurance just in case. Right. So at that point, think through how the dog travels and how you can make it as safe as possible. Right, right. Here, they're, we're, they're talking about uh, some states, I, I think, already have it in place, or some, some municipalities for sure already have it in place. Uh, but there's a, a big ongoing discussion about having dogs loose in the back of trucks. Mm. And and we see it a lot. We yes. see it a lot here in Texas. And and unfortunately, with accidents, those dogs necessarily become missiles. Yes. And and some survive and some do not. But but for sure, the ones who do, you know, are thrown hard and and scared. Yeah. Really, really scared. And yeah. so um, uh, that's that's never something I love to see. No. Is, no, a, is a dog I, loose in the bed of a truck. Yeah, I see that. We live in a very rural area and we do have typically border collies. And, you know, mm-hmm. yes, they're very sensible and they sit there, but it always worries me so much. And as you say, in the event of a crash, they're so vulnerable and you just you know, again, I'm, I'm sure they're very capable drivers and they think they're very capable drivers, but, you know, accidents happen. <laughs> so, right, yeah. right. But yes, it turns, right, right. turns your stomach, doesn't it? You go, oh, don't do that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. You know, and, and I think sometimes these things that we, when we think about safety with animals, you know, there's a point where I think sometimes people balk because I think, well, this is too much work or, or wait, this is not the life I want to lead with my dog or, or I know my dog and this will never happen. But, you know, I, I have all working dogs. I mean, I have two, well, three search dogs now and, mm-hmm. and w- our team requires a, a certain level of, of safety uh, when we are traveling with them. I mean, we, we, we plan for those dogs. And I, I look in the back seat and, and where they are, and they do not seem unhappy at all. Yes. <laughs> they still have every opportunity to love to drive. So, and, and, you know, I think, I think a dog who's, who's carefully maintained uh, in a situation where gates are, where they're not vulnerable to, to an open gate or a contractor pushing a scary lawnmower or whatever, I, I think they can be completely happy with that safety. So Yes, absolutely. absolutely. You, you mentioned um, search, and risk, search and rescue there. And we'll mm-hmm. come back to what we should do sort of if, if our dog does go missing, if the worst happens and the dog goes missing. We'll, we'll come back to that because I think that's another really important area to talk about. But um, 
you know, I love the the story in the book about Puzzle, your gorgeous golden retriever, um, who. Oh, and again, the descriptions of Puzzle are beautiful. And the one that struck me, I, I had, a, had a black Labrador called Buddy, and I could, I could just see the, uh, your, you describe your golden retriever standing there, sort of looking around and listening, and he's intent on something, and he wags his tail to acknowledge you're walking up, like, yeah, I've seen you, I love you, but I'm busy at the moment, you know? That was so familiar. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah, they're, they're so... Um expressive yes they're so yeah. communicative and when you know them well you know what they're telling you to yes. uh, uh, and you know how to read it and she was really good uh puzzle was just a glory uh always to work mm. with and and uh she was fully capable of sort of mentally must multitasking yes so yes, she so. could she could absolutely acknowledge me and check in with me as the search and rescue term we would say yeah while still part of her brain was processing you yeah. know what was what was going on so yeah, yeah in the search field or wherever yeah but again she she was amazing and and you can explain why it was so amazing she was search and rescue um not finding dogs finding people and then right you you come across um it was Odie's owner wasn't it who's panicking yeah. and her dog's gone missing and again what rang really true with me was Odie's owner was saying to you that um he was there because she was in the shower and she knows he was there because she he likes to hang around and lick her ankles when he gets out of the shower when she gets out of the shower and again our mischief loves to do that as soon as you put set foot out of the shower she's like oh I want to lick your, le- your wet legs and that rang so true uh-huh. but so so tell, yes. us, tell us about Odie well, little Odie, I'm actually, uh, if I lean forward, I can look at the house where Odie escaped, uh, kind of at a stretch. Little Odie is, is the, first, the first lost dog in the book, mm-hmm. uh, in the very first chapter. A little old guy, a little creaky old guy mm. with um, kind of long of body and with, with bad lower spine and, and bad hips. And he goes missing on one of the hottest days of that particular summer. And he goes missing at a time, just as we sort of described, and, and you know, the, I think this is probably the best way to phrase it, a, a time of transition in the house. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just as we were talking about, you know, when are animals at risk, transition is always the risk. Moving in, moving out, guests coming in, guests coming out, contractors coming in, contractors coming out. You know, big changes that are outside the routine, and and that was the case for Odie. Um, Somebody was moving out, and the situation was stressful. Uh, He was a sensitive little dog. Um, Tension was high between the humans involved, and on this hot day in summer, he simply disappeared. He -hmm. just disappeared, and... Um, the young woman who owned him went running through the neighborhood. Fortunately, she was something of an athlete, so she didn't, uh, you know, stroke out in this terrible heat of that afternoon, but she immediately hit the streets just searching and searching and searching for him with no joy. And it was a neighbor of ours who said, oh, well, you know, the lady on the corner has a search and rescue dog. (laughs) Um, Maybe she can help you. And she came running, you know, asking for help. Um, but what she didn't realize and what so many people don't realize is that a, a dog trained to find missing people is most often proofed against finding animals. Yes. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And it's, it's so that if we're out looking for a missing child, law enforcement knows for sure that that search dog is not going to alert on every dog they pass. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's human exclusive. And um, so uh, I knew I could not ask Puzzle to find Odie because she'd been proofed against finding animals and alerting only on missing people. But I also knew uh, and had learned, because she had revealed this, Puzzle in her nature was just a very comforting presence. And uh, in the the missing animal response community, they, they call them magnet dogs. And these are just these these non-threatening, low-key, kindly dogs that sometimes just their very presence is enough to draw a lost animal out of the bushes, 
or or out of a hiding place or calm them and slow them from their running. And she was just genius at that. Mm-hmm. And she was genius at that quite young and and we we saw the evidence of it when she was she was probably 2 or 3. But as she aged it got even more profound. She was not a particularly maternal dog. Puzzle had never had puppies. Uh, she was spayed before she had puppies, but but she was kind. She was kind, and she was low-key, and she just um, had a zen. Yes. <laughs> she had a kind of a zen about her, an all will be well, all manner of things <laughs> shall be well kind of thing. And, and it, uh, you know, without spoiling that first chapter, um, it is Puzzle. The search dog who technically could not be asked to search for this dog who <laughs> makes the difference in, to his coming home. Yes. Um, and, and that was one of the most thrilling sensations. And, and I'm so, I hope I can, can draw readers into what it is like to be with a dog and have a signal from the dog that life has been found. Mm-hmm. And when you're when you're a search and rescue handler and you see that dog alert and you know this little eight, 80 year old woman who's fallen in a ravine is alive because mm-hmm. <laughs> the alert there's a very significant alert every time you find that child or that little fallen person you are yourself reborn yes. a little bit I mean that joy is so fierce and when when puzzle connects with this little aging lost dog in a very different way, but it makes a difference and it saves his life. Mm-hmm. I felt, I remember feeling that same surge of wonder. You know, there's that <laughs> meme that there's that meme that floats around that says we do not deserve dogs. Every time this happens, every time a search dog makes that positive find uh, or makes that positive connection and brings someone home, I feel that. Like I, yes. just, I am so honored to be here. I'm not sure I deserve to be here, but I am really grateful <laughs> to be beside this this dog. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so bless her, bless her for that. That's it. again, and your your disp- depiction of the panic, the sheer panic. I I only um, I think I only had it twice with Buddy, who lived to fifteen and a half. Once he went missing very briefly on a walk. And he just, we, and it was what we'd done several times, but he just got distracted and disappeared over this bank. And just for, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds, I was like, oh my goodness, but still the panic and the things that flash through your mind. And, and once a neighbour rang years and years ago, but he was under three, and a neighbour rang and said, do you know where your black Labrador is? And I went, mm, yes, he's, and we had the patio doors open into the garden. And and I said, yes, he's, he's you know, going between the garden and the dining room. She said, I think I can see him at, at the front of your house. And the gate, again, we had it wedged with bricks, but somebody had moved them. As you say, somebody had come in and, and moved it. And the gate was open enough and he'd gone. And luckily he was just outside and all was well. And I got him back in and we made sure that the gate then was sort of bolted and padlocked and goodness knows what. Um, but that panic that grips you is like nothing else it's just like, oh my goodness and the things that flash through your head are dreadful um so what what should we do when we discover you know if we discover our dog's gone missing what should we do well so much depends on whether you're working alone or you've got help mm-hmm. and if you've got um help you can move so much more quickly and and what i love is when you can get two people to help and one person calmly as calm as you can be drive one person that knows the dog calmly drives or walks the neighborhood just looking there's really mixed results about calling names uh and i think it you know calling the dog's name and and it it um I think it depends on the temperament of the dog. Mm-hmm. A, a dog that's run, that's bolted from a thunderstorm may be too um, traumatized or scared to respond to their name, and the, and the sound of their name might actually, oddly enough, 
frighten them more, agitate yes. them more. But the, you know, the, the happy lab that's wandered out of the gate and doo-doo-doo was just <laughs> walking down the block may respond to their name. So yeah. calling a name is, is very controversial. I think it's really dependent on the, the individual dog and the individual situation. But but one person starts doing footwork and and talking to everyone they pass. You know, have you seen this dog, this description disappeared, you know, at this time. And uh, that person does that. And then another person very quickly begins to generate physical signs, flyers that you can put on nearby utility poles, but also larger uh, when you've got the things at hand. And I always recommend you know, get these things at hand just in case you need them. Uh, larger neon signs to put against intersections and roads where people uh, are driving more quickly, mm. uh, who who are not going to see little tiny print on a you know on a uh, printed flyer from a computer. So you have someone making signs, and then you have someone on social media, and and the the trick is, and you can you can tell me this, you can add to this. Um, uh, the trick is to get on your neighborhood social media if you have uh, if you have platforms that serve specific neighborhoods as well as things like the Facebook lost pet pages that are designated for your given area and your given town mm-hmm. um, and so if you've got one person who's posting online and monitoring responses and doing all that outreach and someone who's making and putting up signs and then someone who is actually walking the neighborhood, if you can get those three things in action super quickly, I think the the likelihood of finding your dog pretty quickly is really good. It's just time critical. Yes. It's just super, super time critical. If you're in a situation where you think it's highly likely if your dog went missing, you're going to be operating alone, maybe, you know, a, a single parent with just small kids or or somebody who's new in town and doesn't know their neighbors or whatever, then one of the things I recommend is just have some some sort of pre-made signs. I, I, I like to have five. I love the number five because there's, there's really a nice way you can use them in your area to get the word out quickly. Have them pre-made. And, and then all you do is you start walking that neighborhood, you put those signs down and we had, we had someone here who was really clever about it, um, later actually joined my lost pet community team, uh, mm. cause he was so, so really good at it, but he had, you know, he had five signs already ready to go and he just, he just popped the dog's picture in the, the little sleeve, the little plastic sleeve on the sign but what he would do is he he walked the neighborhood he put down a sign and then every 3 blocks he would just stop and he'd post from his phone on social media mm. so he you know he was really doing all three at once yes <laughs> and it was yes and he was he was out about an hour and a half and passed a dog walker and asked her, you know, have you seen my dog? And she said, oh, that's that dog on that sign. And she said, well, was he wearing a red collar? Because I saw a dog in a yard with a red collar walking up on a porch, and I thought it might be theirs. And he said, no, 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 it's, yes, he has a red collar. And she was able to point him right to the place where his dog had uh, parked himself for the evening. Wow, that's incredible. But, you know, I think, I think what was really important was that he already – just against the day when, you know, he had some signs made mm. and and he was able to, to get those signs out quickly. And that was that sort of combination. Asking her, she had seen the sign. Uh, the picture, unfortunately, was black and white. So, and he had a collar on, but she couldn't tell what color the collar was for the sign. But, 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 you know, it was that sort of combo yes. um, that really brought it home. And, and we find that that's often, that sort of trifecta is really effective. The the sign, the canvassing, and the social media. It's, yeah. it's lovely when you can divide it up, but it, there are ways to do it when you can't that are still super, super effective. Yeah. And, and, and this is one thing I, I definitely know. When you get out there and you are just an active presence and people get the sense that this pet really matters to you, 
they themselves become more invested. Mm. So, so, you know, social media posts that, that are updated, um, signs that, that get renewed, you know, like let's say the animal's missing a week and the sign has been through a rainstorm and it's pretty faded. And then new signs come out saying still looking. People really invest and connect with mm. owners that are passionate about yes. finding their animals. And, and, and so you, you, you actually get extra help because the, the animal matters to them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I can hear your dogs. That would be one of the Pomeranians. I am so sorry. No, the, okay. um, we've got a, We've got a delivery man that's just oh. come up on the porch, and so yeah, now I have to be warned. The delivery man has yes. come up on the porch. So. Oh, bless. And, yeah, in the highest possible tones. That would be the that would be the Pomeranian Jiffy that you hear. Yes. So when you get to Jiffy Pop in the book, that would be Jiffy barking. Yeah, yeah. Say that your dogs, your your canine family and your human family feature beautifully in the book, and you 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 do draw the reader into sort of your your world. It's a it's a lovely book, and you know you, the your parents are very present in the book, and it's interesting that that the perspective that brings, and you talk a sort of about um how attitudes to two dogs have changed that's very interesting and and I could identify with that, but also your parents very much shaped your attitude to although you you know you you say your dad always says another one and sort of laughs a bit you know and teases right, you right. Uh, for, for all the you know the, the rescue dogs you take on but what did they expect you know they both shape your attitude don't they yes yes and um you know the curious thing about this book was that i actually began writing it several years ago and and so i was able to recall those stories that I had beside them because they were rescuers mm. back in the 60s when I just, I don't, I don't remember ever knowing another adult that was a rescuer in the, in the 60s where I was. Mm. So they were my model and they were the only models I had. But um, when I started writing this book, I, you know, I was able to run those childhood memories past them, and 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 sometimes it was really interesting to to hear what my father and mother said about, oh, you know, that dog we found beside the road in 1965, because I had the five-year-old's perception of it, yeah, <laughs> um, but they had the the adult's perception of it, of you know, what it was like to know you were dead broke, and here was this animal in trouble. And and you're on your way to church or whatever, and it's the worst possible time to try to intercede for a creature in trouble, and yet they always stopped. Yes. they just always stopped, and that that message was it was really a foundational one for me, and that was, you know, you 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 do <laughs> what's that phrase you know we do for family well they they did for animals and yeah. uh and and actually people too uh, I, there's a story in the book about rescuing a neighbor a little elderly neighbor who got in trouble and and no one was around to know that she was injured um but i i'm so grateful to them mm. uh, for all the troubles they had within themselves and between each other i'm so grateful for that notion that it's it's important mm. it's important to step out of yourself and care for something other than yourself even when it's least convenient or even when it's a hardship yes. on you mm. so mm. Yeah. Well, they, they certainly set you on, on the path that you've, you've embraced. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and, of course, this is, uh, you know, my memories of them are so um, are, are tender and amusing now. And, and they're, all, they're all, you know, in this sort of mesotent of, of, of 60s photography. But I, I just remember, you know, all the times that we stopped and my, my mother was in, you know, those those slim little Jackie Kennedy suits and heels, you know, <laughs> trying to bring a, bring a dog out of a ravine, you no. know, kneeling down in her, <laughs> kneeling down in her, no doubt, terribly expensive for them, um, stockings, you yeah. know, and, and, and laddering them terribly. Oh. Um, but she did it. Yes. You know, she did it. Yeah. And, uh, and then scrubbed paw prints <laughs> yeah. out of her clothing. <laughs> 
Oh, as I say, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I recommend, you know, if you love dogs, you're going to enjoy this book. It, it's really, really good. It's, it's been a joy to talk to you after reading, you know, some of the book to actually talk to you and, and explore some of those issues. It's been wonderful. And, and I mean, there's so much in the book, we couldn't talk about everything in it. But <laughs> is there anything else that you'd like to say about the book that we haven't had time yet? Um, well, you know, we've talked a lot about about what to do if you lose a dog. I, very quickly, I would just say the other part of the book is is really what you can do if you find one yes. or even if you just see one. And and one of the points that, that the book brings home is that critical to every lost animal search is sighting reports. You need to know the direction a dog has traveled. And and if failing having a search dog that will track other pets, citing reports from people who have seen the dog running down the street at four o'clock in the afternoon, heading you know at this intersection, heading that way, that simple concrete point in time, that little data point, can make all the difference in getting ahead of, of where the dog is going and getting signs out and getting more sighting reports. Sighting reports are key to getting the dog home. And so if you're driving down the street and you see a dog that's clearly loose or, or clearly panicked or running or, you know, whatever that you get a good sense that this dog is dragging a leash and is, is displaced from his owner. Even if, if there's no way for you to, to engage with the dog or recover the dog, just simply taking a photograph, noting where you are, noting the time, or if you can't stop and take a photograph, knowing where you, noting what the dog looks like, where you are and what time, and then when you can take a moment, posting it on the relevant social media mm-hmm. can make so much difference. And it's just not that hard. Uh, you know, you, you say, okay, I saw a brindle, uh, a brindle terrier mix, you know, at the corner of white and bounty running south four mm-hmm. o'clock. Yes. And if, if you are on that neighborhood social media, you can post it there. But if you're a stranger to the area, then you just go on, on Facebook or other relevant platforms in the UK and you can just do a search and say lost pets of this city and there's so many lost pet pages mm-hmm. and there's you know there's a perfect place to post and that's where people who've lost their animals go and so then you've given them a key you know you've given them the first key to where to start looking mm-hmm. uh, because they know where the animal disappeared from but there may be they it may be fuzzy you know what time was that whatever and you've got the most recent current information and so citing reports are not trivial at all. And there's something powerful we can do very, very quickly um, that can do a world of good. Excellent. So, so do it. I mean, yes, we. I. I mean, saying how you affect your child. We. My daughter's twenty three now, but um, when she was little, if ever we saw a dog that was loose, you know, we we stopped. And of course, she she got to the point where she wouldn't let me. You know, if I said, but I, you know, we're heading to the dentist or whatever. She'd no, we have to stop. <laughs> and if we you know, that was it. <laughs> I was told, so I had to. You know, but it does, as you say, it does make a difference, and it's. You know, it warms your heart if you can reunite, um, you know, a dog and, and its owner and you can, oh, yes, that dog got safely home. But the ones that sort of make me very cross are that we, we had a Border Collie that turned up in, in our old house uh, that turned up and we rang the number on his collar and the guy came and picked him up and he went, oh, it's the 20th time he's got out this month. And you think, oh, right. I wish, you know, at that point you think, I wish I hadn't phoned you because, you know, <laughs> you're just going to take yeah, him home. You know, Sometimes it's, you feel a whole lot of conflict because yes. you will have the occasional owner who's who's very lazy fair or, you mm. know, oh, yeah, he gets that all the time. You know, mm. uh, we'll just have to see what happens. And that's really, really hard. Yes. Um, often what you have or what we have here are, are families who have a, a dog that's a really good escape artist. And sometimes they are just sometimes not financially equipped or there's some other mitigating circumstance, like they're just physically not as able to easily bring call back a dog who's decided it's going to scale the fence or whatever. Mm. And uh, there are actually groups here 
who the third, you know, the third tenet of their their search and return is is assisting owners fortifying their fences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you know they have a whole body of people with carpentry skills, etc., who can help that elderly owner who's not able to patch a you know a wobbly section of the fence. Yeah, oh, that's and lovely. I mean, and that's a lovely service too. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. that's a super lovely service. Yes, so, yeah, yeah. I always think the world turns when we all do what we're passionate about and what occurs to us, you know, and do that. And, and that's what, you know, things work then. If we all give what we can, do what we can, do what we're inspired to, it works. Yes, yes. And there's an amazing number of skills that can be useful to, to the, the safekeeping of, of our animals. And, uh, and, and sometimes I think people, I know the carpenters that, that have worked with the families that we have served never thought, you know, they never thought they would have anything to contribute to this because they weren't necessarily super computer savvy or whatever, and not artists to make signs or whatever, but, but, but they were really, really good at, at mending fences or, you know, loose latches on doors or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and that's a service too. So you're exactly right. You know, you, you'd be amazed at what you have to hand in your own skill set that can make a really positive contribution. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I recommend the book. It's called Where the Lost Dogs Go, A Story of Love, Search and the Power of Reunion. It's a brilliant read. Um, Susanna, where can people find out more about it online? Well, uh, my website is susannacharlson.com. I, I think if you probably did an internet search of my name, just Susanna Charlson, probably the publisher's website comes up as well. I'm also on uh, Facebook and my Facebook handle is Susanna Charlson author. It's a, it's a page. So mm-hmm. facebook.com Susanna Charlson dot, uh, Susanna Charlson author and up, will probably come a picture of a dog or a picture of the book or, or both. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, look, the best of luck to you and, and your dogs, and I hope all your dogs stay safe and at home with you. Thank you so much. It's an amazing book, both entertaining and educational. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks to Susanna for talking to me at a very busy time and for all the hard work she puts into reuniting dogs and their people. We have all the links Susanna mentioned at dogcastradio.com. Before you get a dog, you can't imagine what living with one might be like. Afterward, you can't imagine living any other way. Caroline Knapp You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News. This first story has prompted such comments on the Dogcast Radio social media as no, just no, and no, treats an animal as a possession. The sad story here is that an owner died, leaving her Shih Tzu, Emma, alive. But not for long, because the deceased owner's will stipulated that Emma should be euthanised and buried with her owner. Immediately after her owner's death, Emma was taken to the Chesterfield Animal Shelter in Chesterfield, Virginia, USA, where she remained for the two weeks until the burial. The shelter repeatedly suggested to the executor of the will that the dog be signed over to them so that she could be adopted and go on to live a happy life. But the executor was committed to carrying out the last wishes of the deceased, and so poor Emma was put to sleep and buried with her owner. Now, if you're as shocked and disturbed as we are by this story, you have a lot of questions right now, and if you do, we'd love you to post them on our social media. But we had one comment which argued that there might be a good reason for the owner's instructions. I can see why someone might worry that if not euthanised, their pet may spend a long time in a shelter or be rehomed to unsuitable people. I can see why someone would want to avoid that, and there are animals of mine that I might seriously ask that this be done, the euthanasia, not the burying, as they are not easily rehomable and have multiple issues. If the people I have chosen to be consulted for, to help or take on those animals, could not do so, then, yeah. Another issue raised is the legal status of instructions in wills. Do we want to live in a world where those instructions can easily be ignored? I don't think I do. You can read that thought-provoking comment in full on our Dogcast Radio Facebook page. Your love of dogs may be down to your genes. Swedish research using a database of over 35,000 twins found that identical twins, who are genetically identical, are more likely to both own a dog than fraternal twins, who only share 50% of their genes. 
Interestingly, there was a difference between the sexes, with genetics being responsible for 57% of dog ownership in women and 51% in men. Graham Webb is definitely a dog person. He has adopted Staffordshire Bull Terrier Star, the dog dubbed the UK's unluckiest. Paul Star was found by police tied up in a derelict building back in 2013, and since then he's mainly lived at Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home in Scotland. To help settle Star in, Graham spent the first night sleeping on the sofa while Star snoozed on his dog bed next to the sofa. Now, however, Graham is back in his bed and Star is firmly installed on the sofa at night time. Graham is a professional photographer and taking Star to his studio with him proved to be a challenge initially, as Star would bark at other dogs as they passed by. To solve this, Graham applied frosted window film, which obstructed Star's view, and created the security he craved. Sounds like Star's luck has well and truly changed. On to another unlucky British dog now, Louis the Labrador, who had to be rescued by firefighters when he got his head stuck in a cat flap in Brampton, Devon. Struggling to free himself, Louis actually managed to wrench the cat flap completely off the door, but his owner, Phil, was unable to get the flap off the dog's neck. Fortunately, Phil and Louis lived just up the road from a Devon and Somerset fire and rescue depot, and after a quick trip there, Louis was once more free. The cats were unavailable for comment on the inconvenience caused to them. Indeed. I'm always a bit sceptical of luxury dog kennels which hit the headlines, because I strongly suspect most dogs would almost always choose to be with their people rather than isolated in any way. So I read with mixed feelings about Buster the Rescue Staffy's boudoir his owner Sean Farrell made him, which features a television all of his own, mood lighting, pictures on the wall and a fan. Sean noticed that Buster actually did like spending time alone, so he decided to devote a corner of the lounge to his dog. Sean has spent many hours working with Buster on his trust issues, but allows him the space he needs to assert his independence too. And so my opinion changed, because isn't that what it's all about, meeting your dog's needs? Absolutely. Now onto a dog, in fact a whole breed, whose needs aren't being met in that their numbers are dropping alarmingly. The old English sheepdog, often known as the Dulux dog, is in danger of dying out. The UK Kennel Club has revealed that only 98 old English sheepdog puppies have been registered with them this year. That's a 67% drop compared with 20 years ago, and if that trend carries on, the Kennel Club will move them into the vulnerable category. So what's behind the decline of the breed? It can't be their striking appearance, good nature, and the fact that they can be family-friendly. So is it their need for plenty of exercise and grooming? It can't be that, can it? Because, as we hopefully all know, all dogs need exercise and grooming. Let us know what you think. And if you share your life with an Old English Sheepdog, we'd love to hear your opinion. Whatever the breed, dog ownership makes people four times more likely to meet UK guidelines for exercise. A study carried out by the University of Liverpool looked at hundreds of British households all within a single community in Liverpool, meaning all the participants shared the same local environment and amenities. There were 700 people taking part from 385 households, half of them women, most people middle-aged, and 70 were children. The data was gathered via lengthy questionnaires and showed that dog owners spent 300 minutes weekly walking while their dogless neighbours clocked up only around 100 minutes. Current guidelines advise getting 150 minutes of moderate exercise per week. Worryingly, a small proportion of dog owners who were young, healthy and female never walked their dog. However, the scientists behind the study strongly discouraged anyone from getting a dog just to inspire themselves to take more exercise. And we endorse that message, but we're about to take some exercise of our own now because we've got to run. See you next time! One of the happiest sights in the world comes when a lost dog is reunited with a master he loves, Eldon Rourke. When Bella, a very young German Shepherd puppy, was hit by a motorbike, her face was horrifically smashed, and suddenly her future hung in the balance. So thank goodness for Rosario Vallefuco and the whole team at Pride Veterinary Centre in Derby in the UK, who incredibly performed life-saving surgery, rebuilding Bella's jaw and nose. Rosario now shares that amazing experience with us. Bella was uh, injured by head trauma, okay, the day that was referred to us. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the head trauma caused just a lot of uh, fracture 
very, very small piece of bone fracture uh, that involved all the face, uh, in particular the nose and the, the uh, frontal uh, bone, mm. um, with a massive collapse and, um, you know, destruction of the, the face itself. Yes. Um, and that it was quite uh, impressive, in particular after uh, the diagnostic uh, imaging that we did. We did a CT scan, yes. and we can, uh, at that time, uh, uh, figure out uh, uh, how severe the injury was. Uh, of course, that it's uh, just in, we are talking about the fracture, but before that, we should say that, uh, of course, Bella was in, uh, in shock. So mm-hmm. we have stabilized it, and it was just a big team effort where everybody contributes to the uh, successful outcome of this case. And that it was uh, quite amazing also for us uh, to be involved in this uh, big challenge, and uh, that it was uh, together surgical, uh, anesthetic, diagnostic imaging, uh, um, amazing case. Yeah. So... When we admitted there, we just realized that it was a quite severe injury. Mm-hmm. And then after the CT scan, we uh, really understand how much severe and complex was the injury. So she stayed with us in the hospital uh, one day uh, where she was stabilized before she was completely or relatively safe for us to have a, a general anesthesia Okay, mm-hmm. when the surgery was done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, as you say, I mean, I, I have seen the, the CT scans, and my goodness, it as you say, it's, a, it's amazing that you could do this, and it sounds like a, a real team effort, and you all pulled together and saved this dog, and and such a young dog as well. You you saved her a lot of life there, didn't yeah. you? Um, which is wonderful. But I mean, when you first saw her. Bella in in person, and yeah. when you saw those those initial CT scans. Did you despair, or did you were you fairly confident that you could do this? What did you think? Oh well, it was quite a, a let's say dramatic situation mm. uh, that um, pushed the challenge really, really higher. Yeah, uh, uh, it was the first time for me, and uh, uh, I manage other case, but not much uh, uh, complex like this one. So mm. and. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, decision has been taken also during the surgery. So I had a plan, uh, but of course we always try to, you know, to fit this plan depending on what we found really um, uh, in the surgical field when when we just make the surgery. And uh, hopefully for everyone, the plan was the good one. Yeah, uh, and uh, and we just. Uh, yeah, and and achieve a very nice, uh, very nice result. So for the reconstruction, so the CT scan post-op give us also a nice idea um, how the face was after the reconstruction. Okay, and uh, of course uh, it's not just uh, um, a cosmetic concern. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that the bone collapsed in the nose and uh, in the sinus, he, he, he for sure on the long term was. Uh, causing problem like uh, chronic rhinitis, so um, you know abnormal flow of the hair for the um, you know air passage in the nose. So um, the cosmesis was a concern, but uh, eventually not the most important. Uh, uh, even if it's very very uh, grateful for us to see Bella now uh, with the face completely normal uh, after such much. Uh, such a um, complex yes. uh, situation that we just afforded. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this dog, particularly her, her nose and head, sort of obviously is is sort of virtually bionic now. So tell me, because I mean, I'm just I, I, I'm just looking at the, the press release about what you sort of had to do, and um, and it says you had to use interdental wire frame like a human brace. I mean, can you tell me some of the, the detail of what you actually <laughs> how you reconstructed? Yeah, uh, technically, uh, one of the most important concerns from the maxillofacial surgery is just to have uh, a nice occlusion of teeth uh, because that is uh, uh, very important 
just to eat and uh, to have uh, also a good occlusion. Okay, and uh, this part has been done uh, uh, at the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a place in tertental uh, wiring and oral splint. Okay, it's just uh, acrylic resin, um, just to stabilize at the beginning uh, from uh, the mouth all the maxilla, and then we have done the surgery on the top. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we have make a real. Uh, open approach to try to reconstruct this uh, puzzle of uh, a small fragment of bone. Yeah. Uh, the frame that has been removed has been removed uh, uh, around six weeks after the surgery. Okay. And that is a um, relatively easy situation where the, the, just the resin is uh, quickly removed and we have uh, also cleaned the teeth on the top of that. Um, the implant in the face, the titanium mesh, that will remain. Uh, and indeed, it's in particular uh, uh, um, materials, that it's the titanium, um, that it's uh, high biocompatible uh, with the bone and soft tissue around. And uh, uh, it's very, very well tolerated and uh, give a lot of advantage also for, uh, you know, the, the diagnostic imaging that eventually we can do later, okay? Yes, yeah. Wow, incredible, incredible. So, I mean, and, and how long did the operation actually take? Yeah, it, it take quite, uh, it was quite complex. It take around two hours, mm. okay? So, and uh, once again, uh, we were expecting a uh, um, complex situation, but then <laughs> when we saw exactly what it was, beginning it was quite scaring mm-hmm. okay well uh, all these pieces were loose uh, some were in the nose and uh, you know someone we we had saved them and uh, used to reconstruct the face someone were completely uh, you know lost and we have just removed them okay the the titanium mesh just allowed also to you know to fill the 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 defect left by the piece that were completely removed. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, all, all that, of course, requires time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I mean, the dog was relatively stable to afford such uh, anesthesia and uh, surgery. Um, but it's not so long. I think that time is uh, acceptable. Oh, yes, uh, yeah. Yeah. Especially considering what you were doing, my goodness, yeah. And and then after the operation, what was the sort of the, the post-operative care? How much um, you know TLC? How much nursing sort of did she need afterwards? Uh, yeah, that is. Uh, we have a big team of nurses that uh, uh, take care of Bella after. Okay, we were also impressed for how much quick she recovered from the surgery. So mm. she was much more. Uh, um, uh, not hurted, but it's a strange uh, feeling to have the brace on the teeth for a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's that's the what she what uh, just each her a little bit, uh, but she recovered very very well and very very fast, and she was able to eat um, almost immediately after the surgery. Wow! Uh, that is also very very impressive. Uh, of course, when we relieve the pain of uh, of the animals, they are much more comfortable and uh, they can eat and they are much more happy. And that uh, it just helps us also to to judge uh, relatively comfortable for a quick discharge from the hospital. So she stay with us till two days after the surgery. Hmm. Uh, of course, with uh, intensive care and uh, a lot of a hug from uh, everyone. <laughs> yes. Okay. She- she, she was very she she's a very cute dog so mm. and uh, um and of course that has helped also a lot um mm. for the management of such complex case yeah yeah and and how is bella now and sort of what's the future looking like for bella is she is she going to live a normal life is that the the hope now yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's doing uh, exactly what a normal dog uh does um, she can play, she can eat, she just enjoys the life. Uh, the owners are very happy also about that. And, uh, of course, we are very happy. 
and also very proud about this uh, achievement uh, because, of course, we are always happy if we can, you know, after such important effort, the, the, our patients uh, just uh, recovery uh, very well uh, from the surgery or for the treatment, any treatment that we do. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it's an incredible achievement medically and sort of scientifically. But I mean, also, you know, obviously, our dogs and Bella and all our dogs are part of our family. And that's an important part of it, isn't it? You saved a member of someone's family and they'll go on and have that, that life with their family now. And that's just brilliant. Well done. It, it, it's so, it is definitely something to be so proud of. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are. We are so proud. Yes. And um, and to see her back uh, recently, it's just to make us uh, really, really happy. Yeah. Excellent. Lovely. Where where can people find out more about um, Pride Veterinary Centre? Yeah, they there are uh, all the information on the website. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have a website. There is a, uh, also a newsletter for uh, for that, uh, and easily um, can found. On, on the website, uh, all, all this information. Yeah. That's great. Thank you very much. Is, is there anything that we, we haven't mentioned that you'd like to say about um, Bella or, you know, any of the work you do? Well, it's a quite uh, advanced um, surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, um, I think that we have to consider uh, everything in its complexity. Uh, of course, the surgery is uh, what is... Uh, the most impressive, but behind the surgery, there are always other people. Uh, mm. So the surgeon uh, never work alone. Uh, so he work always with the uh, assistant, with uh, anesthetists, with the uh, critical care, with the nurses. So it, uh, I think that it's important to say that it was really a big team effort and uh, a team job. So, of course, all that requires uh, such advanced um, technique uh, and also some uh, uh, advanced training uh, mm-hmm. that people uh, uh, need to do uh, because you know we can just uh, deal with some situations that are quite critical and put in danger the life of the dog. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank goodness that team was in place and you'd all had your training. You were all there working together. Thank goodness for Bella and for all the other animals. You, you know, you help live a healthy life and, and save lives. So yeah. thank you ever so much and, and the best of luck for the future. Thank you so much, Julie. Bye, bye. Thank you, Rosario. Bye. Thanks. Oh, my goodness. That sounds amazing work. And if you take a look at the diagnostic images of Bella's extensive injuries on the Dogcast Radio website, you'll understand just how much of a challenge Rosario and his team rose to. We wish Bella and her family all the very best, and we're so happy that a normal, happy life has been made possible for her. Rosario plans to publish Bella's case in a scientific publication in the future, so hopefully her experience will help other dogs have similar positive outcomes. That's it for now. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dog cast radio that's all one word dog cast radio by email you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. when contacting us by email if you have the facilities please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file that way we can include them directly in our program we can accept most formats for example wav mp3 all these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Jenny, doesn't Mischief look so different now she's been to the groomers? I guess that's because she's had a transformation. <laughs>